Hey everybody, welcome to season two of the Mixmasters podcast. I'm your host, Steve Litcher, and for those not familiar, I'm the touring front of house engineer for Stitched Up Heart. Working with Stitched Up Heart has led me to meet an incredible number of really talented people, and I wanted to introduce you to them. I wanted to let you hear their stories and learn from their experiences. This is really your chance to listen in on behind the scenes talk and to learn from some of the best in the business. I have to give a huge shout out to my pal, Merritt Goodwin, for this killer intro music. Merritt is the lead guitarist for Stitched Up Heart, and he's also an extremely talented composer. Give him a follow on Facebook at Merritt Goodwin or on Instagram at Merritt Goodwin Official. Now let's bring up the faders and jump into this episode of Mixmasters Podcast. My guest for this episode of Mixmasters is Danny Harvey. Danny's the front of house engineer for Beartooth. He's also worked with Silverstein, Hawthorne Heights, and a number of other pretty famous bands from around the world. Danny joined me by way of Zoom from Cornwall, England, which is amazing to think that we can talk to one another via a computer in real time. And it really is fantastic when it works. <laughs> Unfortunately, we had a couple of technical issues crop up towards the end of the podcast. So we ended up calling things a little bit shorter than I would have liked to have. Danny is also a DLive engineer. He's on the Allen and Heath DLive platform. So we talk a little bit about that. And then we also take a diversion and talk about his work with Sonic Workshops. If you haven't heard of Sonic Workshops, check them out. It's it's your opportunity to be mentored by people from the live production industry, musicians, anything that has to do with live production. Sonic Workshops has a mentor and a course available for you. So give them a give them a check because uh, it's pretty cool. All right, I'm rambling. Let's jump in and talk to Danny Harvey. I hope you enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Mixmasters Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Litcher. I am joined today by Danny Harvey. And Danny is joining us uh, via Zoom from the UK. Danny, I believe you're in Cornwall, correct? I am indeed, yes. All the way down there. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining. I realize uh, time zones are a bit of a challenge, so you're joining me in the evening, and I am sitting here in Madison, Wisconsin, in the middle of the afternoon. So uh, hopefully, we're both on our game, and this will be a fun discussion. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, <laughs> cool. All right. Well, uh, full disclosure, I don't really know you too well. I met you uh, through Brian Campbell, yeah, and um, I'm pleased to have you on. And I would love to get to know a little bit about you as is the norm for my podcast, would you mind taking us back to your earlier, younger days? Uh, were you a musician originally? How did you get started in the world of music and what sort of drew you into the live sound uh, mixing position? Yeah, totally. Um, I guess it goes back when I was maybe 15. I started my interest in music. I obviously play guitar, as most 15-year-olds did, I guess, at that point. Um and my dad pushed me to do like classical guitar. And so I started doing classical guitar um, and then found an interest in recording myself doing classical guitar. And he was like, if you wanna carry on classical guitar without going to electric guitar, cause as I grew up, that's what I wanted to do. Um, I will help with a studio. So in our garden is a shed, it was a ruin. Like we live, I grew up on a farm so he built this, I think it was a little project for him too. And we turned it into a little studio. And at 15, I built, started building this tiny little, now looking, it's still there in its, for, in its first form, crappy studio. 
but it taught me so much. It taught me like all the, like I started from scratch with the Yamaha 01X, figuring out how to plug into the PC. And then I bought some outboard gear. And then I guess from that, I went to college to study music technology, which brought in like more and so, and then I had bands that came in that I would record. Again, now listening back to them, they sound terrible, but I had to start somewhere. Um, and then through that, a, a shop, like a, that sold, sold all that kind of stuff, um, found the studio and said, we would like to kit it out with nicer stuff if um, we can then advertise it or stuff like that. And our engineers that we have at the shop can come and use the studio. And I was like, absolutely, this is like perfect. So I would sit in there and watch these other engineers and like see where I was going wrong, see where I was um, making all my mistakes and why it sounded so bad. And they bought different mics. I think I was using 58s on everything. Um, and then from that, I guess, I then went to university to do music production. Again, studio stuff was all I wanted to do, all I knew. Um, so I moved from Cornwall to Brighton, which opened up a lot of opportunities and stuff in a bigger city and a, a much more music-orientated city too. And did three years there, still wanted to do studio stuff. That was my, my goal, my plan. And then out of uh, university, I needed a job. So people that I met, they were like, oh, why don't you do a live sound at a venue or something? And I was like, yeah, I guess it can't be that different from studio stuff. So uh, I went to shadow a couple of people and they were like, yeah, you clearly know you're in like about audio. So I got thrown into the deep end of live sound in that way. It was only a 150 cat room. But I remember my first shift getting there and I was like, amps where are the amps like I guess that's something I have to turn on and I worked there for like two three years and through that met bands that came in met people that came in and just networked myself in that way um actually ended up loving live sound and I got drawn into that rather than any studio stuff and then I met a few people and they were like do you want to go on tour and I jumped at the chance. And my first tour was in 2012 with a band called Set Your Goals from California. Um, and I went out with them in mainly Germany on a support tour, which again, thrown into the deep end. And I learned so much in that way. Um, I was doing merch and front of house um, and I got paid PDs basically, but loved it. And um from that, the headline band was a band called Every Time I Die from Buffalo. And then the band support was Cancer Bats, who are from Canada. And I got to know them. And then they took me on tour. And I guess the rest is just history of who I met on tour and like connections. Um, I started tour managing too. And thrown in the deep end, my first TM gig was a, a band called Silverstein from Toronto, who I ended up working for them for like five or six years. And I still do on and off stuff with them now. Um, so yeah, I guess it's, that's it. Starting from studio stuff into venues and then meeting people along the way and ended up doing live sound. So I have a couple of questions. Uh, the, the story, I love this story. It's absolutely awesome. Um, what were some of the biggest adjustments you found yourself having to make 
with so much studio experience and then being thrown into that live scenario, what were some of the biggest surprises or, or things that you had to contend with? Yeah. I mean, I guess the biggest is time in the studio. I have as much time as I want to make a snare sound the way I want in live. I have, Oh, it's gone. The snare sound that I don't like is gone. I'm never going to get that back. Um, so I guess that, and then having like in the little venue I worked was a brick room. Like it was just like bricks all the way around and it sounded horrible, but I learned so much because it sounded horrible. Like I had to, my EQs were drastic. When I started, I was like taking tiny little things out, like you would in a studio. And then by the end of my first week, I think I was cutting like a whole EQ out. Like I was like, this isn't right, but it sounds fine. So that's the thing, I guess, is that there's no right or wrong with it is that if it sounds right even though your eq looks absolutely insane as long as the end product is what you want then yeah to your point you and i were talking about drew thornton earlier and drew has a saying if it sounds good it is good you know it doesn't yeah. really matter what it looks like on paper absolutely. if it works yeah. it works uh my follow- my other question is when you were doing merch in front of house how did you do that <laughs> Um, probably terrible at merch, <laughs> focused everything I could on front of house. Um, I guess I would get to the venue, load in, and we were support, so we wouldn't get a sound check. So I would go straight and set up merch. And then during changeover in the show, I would, whoever else was selling merch for the other bands, I was like, keep an eye. And then as soon as it's finished, I'd run back to the merch. But it's time consuming. Like I Like merch is one of the most time consuming jobs on tour especially on a bigger tour like counting every day and like i've seen people do merch and tm and i'm like how do you do that combination that's just like tm in front of house makes a lot more sense but any other job of merch is it's tough yeah i that's a great point i don't think people really appreciate all of the work that goes into doing merch they you know i think they think it's just set up and it's ready to go but a lot of to your point, a lot of bigger shows, you have to count your merch in, count your merch out, deal with percentages, yeah. all that fun exactly. stuff. Yeah. yeah, all the different vendors and then obviously ordering, depending whether that's your job. Sometimes it could be a manager's job. But yeah, majority of the time, I guess it's the merch because then he knows what's selling and he knows what to project and all that. Uh, so these days you're running sound primarily for Beartooth. Are you also tour managing for Beartooth or are you just doing front of house? No, um, a guy called Cam, the... TM's Beartooth. I've taken on the role of production manager in the last uh, few months. Well, I'm going back a few months, you know, in the last few months of touring with them because they've been doing bigger shows and actually been bringing a lot of production out and I've been taking care of the stage and the truck and all that kind of stuff, which has been interesting in a way that I'm not 100% sure the role of a production manager in that way, but everything's worked and everything's fine. And I guess... It's just common sense. If ever like, I need to know the truck pack. I need to know literally every bit of equipment, not necessarily what it does, but what we have and where it goes. And like any questions, they come to me. And then crew calls was interesting, like having to do that. Like I need crews back at this time and stuff like that. But yeah, it was good. And then a lot more on the advanced stage of festivals. Like this is the risers we need. And the audio side of it, we traveled our own console. So that was, in in a way, even easier. Like, I just needed to be like, don't worry about anything. I will come and take care of anything. If you have a couple of Cat 5 lines, even better. But if not, like, we're fine. That was nice. Speaking of consoles, um, one of the reasons I already love you is that you are using the same platform that I use and really enjoy, which is the Allen & Heath D-Live. Yeah, it's great. Love it. 
Uh, they're actually from down where I am. I don't know if you knew that. They're from Penryn, which is half an hour, 45 minutes away from which, from here, which is great. Not that I've actually ever been to the the warehouse, but I should do. And whenever things opens up again, I definitely will try and make a trip over. Yeah, I uh, when I had my production company more active, I got profiled by Alan and Heath. And uh, the email that I got notifying me that the article was live said, uh, you are known in Cornwall. So <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. I never got that, I guess, because being from here, maybe it didn't matter as much. But that's awesome. I like that a lot. Pushing the name Cornwall out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can we do a little bit of a rig rundown and just take us through what you're using with Beartooth? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Are you, and are you, you're not doing monitors as well. Somebody else is running monitors. I mean, so but Beartooth, I guess, are interesting in that way. Caleb, who is the singer, um, also produces the record and knows audio inside out. Like he mixed the record. He, yeah, so he does monitors, but I set it up. So I set it up from every day. I made his file, but then he actually runs when I'm at front of house and makes any everyone's changes. He's did all their EQs and all their, which is great. So it takes half of the workload off of doing monitors. So I still have to set it up and everything, but it's still, yeah. So we have, they own a 1500. Um, so they, and then I hire a front of house, depending on if we did a festival run, I also had a 1500 so I could fit in anywhere. I remember doing download. We were on the second stage, maybe four bands down from the top. And they were like, oh, no, sorry, you can't bring your own console. And I was like, I can literally carry it on my own to front of house and fit in on top of your laptop. (laughs) Like, it's so small. And they were like, all right, fine. (laughs) So having it for festivals was absolutely fantastic. Just uh, And I always got any position I wanted, middle of the tent in the front because I didn't have to take up any space. So yeah, yeah. What are you using for uh, mix racks? Um, we have, uh, they own the DM48 and I had a DM64 last time only because we were actually, I had a 5,000 in front of house that we were sharing with our with co-headline. So the 64, so we can split. Cause I was only, I'm about 32 channels, I guess, including talkbacks and stuff. It's not, it's not too crazy, which is nice. They're, they've just gone to Kemper's. When I started with them, they were all like live heads and stuff, which was nice too, but it's definitely that consistency, especially for ears and like the Kempers was really nice. Are you running those Kempers mono or are you running them stereo or are you doubling up your uh, input channels or anything like that? Yeah, I, I double up my input. So I take just one line from it. I used to take a mic too and then ended up just having taken the mic out of my mix as it caused so many phase issues and I had to change my delay. So I ended up just taking them out completely and I just double up my mono thing pan them and then I EQ them a little differently so they're not the same left and right so it sounds bigger I find like if it makes it sound like four guitars instead of two that's an interesting I've I've uh, I've been uh playing around with delaying them slightly you know doing the Haas effect but I haven't tried EQing them differently can you talk a little bit about that process yeah I mean I just I guess when I my sound check I just lift my left one up and then EQ that and then lift my right one up, EQ that. So I'm listening to them as if they are separate guitars. And then I would lift them both up and try and obviously you get some weird delays and phase issues with some, but so they're not drastically different, but it just thickens it out, I find. And then obviously if my stage left guitarist, I'll lower one side. So it is like a fuller, like as you would on a record, I guess that you have a guitar in one ear, but I don't go that far. 
Um, and then I send them to a group and then my group is how I ride them. So if my group's on zero and then if there's a bit comes in, I lift my group. My group's on inf minus infinity, sorry, like at the bottom, you know what I mean? And then I lift it up to, to zero for like a, so I kind of play with my groups. They're both going to my left and right as my inputs and the groups. So that gives another like push to it. I'm doing actions and I realize that you can't see me, but. <laughs> I can sort of see you. So I, you I'm can, following yeah. along, but listeners might have a little. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Uh, are you doing any sort of uh, preamp modeling from the DLive on those guitars or anything? Or are you just running them straight through? Um, just running them straight. I did mess start messing with the different. Um, I actually have my file open here. I thought I'd get it up to. Yeah, that's awesome. Then I can really ask some uh, deep dive yeah, questions. Yeah, oh, no, I shouldn't have said that. No, I should have. <laughs> <laughs> um, preamp. No, so I wasn't. I was just using the the preamp on the surface, which I found were fine too. They're very um, quick, and they're like they're very sometimes aggressive. Like I'm hitting them in the red sometimes, and I'm like, it doesn't sound like I am. Like so, I I do push them. Um, especially with my drums, I sometimes, especially with my groups, hit high in the orange and red, but it doesn't sound like it. I think that is just the D-Live. I've heard from a few people that they're, but they sound great. Like, it's not like I'm pushing it and I'm getting any digital distortion or anything like that at all. They're just as if you're pushing an analog, but not, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And it's actually, the, the timing of this discussion is really appropriate because I'll take a quick diversion here. If anybody listening to the podcast is not already subscribed to Drew Thornton's A Sum of Two Buses YouTube channel, uh, please subscribe and go watch that. The, I, the reason I bring that up is today, Monday, when we recorded this episode, Drew released an ep, uh, a session where he looked at the metering on the DLive and the output and examined pushing the board into the red. And he demonstrated through waveform um, measurements that even though the board is clearly in the red heavy, the sound is completely the same. So that's really funny yeah, to say that at the same time. Yeah, that's cool. I've actually watched his first one. I need to watch the second ones. Yeah, they're, they're really good. So I didn't mean to, yeah. to take a diversion there, but, um, uh, can you uh let's let's just go through your input channels if you don't mind so your your drums what are you doing are you doing anything crazy or fun on your uh your drums either your kicks or your grouping or anything like that um let me go back to my drums. so drums are just pretty straightforward i guess in out i have a kelly shoe so it sits i put it upside down so it's on the, the top racks of the the, the the hoops and it points down did you do that? I'm sorry to interrupt. Did you do that to sort of help with cymbal wash or what was the, yeah. What was the, yeah. Yeah. Just so I can loosen my gate a little bit. It's going to have to be so tight and I feel like it's cleaner because of that, I guess. Is that a 91 in there or what do you it do? Is, yeah. 91 a. Yeah. And then the out is the audio technica. Is it the M80? Yeah. Which is really nice too. It's got a real good punch. I think that might be the Telefunken M80. Oh yeah. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Absolutely right. I was just even thinking in my head, that doesn't sound right. And I had Google open to have a look, but yeah. Um, and that's why, because my snare top is an Audio-Technica ATM650. That's what I was getting, yeah. Which I really like, so clean. And then my snare bottom, I just have a 904. Just a clip on. Um, and I send them, I send my kit, two kits to a, a slam group and then my two snares to a slam group. And I run them both to my left and right and just 
gives it that extra thump and punch because Beartooth, obviously, they want that thump and that punch. Hats, classic. I always go from underneath rather than on top. I don't really know why, but I've always done it and I've liked it. I, obviously, not from the side, but from underneath. I've always, this looks tidier, I think. Um, rack and two floors. We have the the shores. I've forgotten what they are. Now, the condensers. 98s? Yes. You can tell I've been talking to people about mics quite a bit because they're all uh, on the tip of my tongue. Yes, that's it. Yeah, and I haven't done it in so long. I haven't even seen these mics in so long at this point, which is sad. The, he used to do, uh, he didn't actually do it on the last tour, but Connor, the drummer, had two little um, kind of bongos, like rotary toms, which I would put another 604s on, which made my kit interesting because I had five toms and was just watch him going round and, yeah. Um, then I have a ride and uh, two overheads. So it's quite a straightforward. He has not, no samples, no anything. He has a little a clip for his iPod. And that's it really. He had a cowbell on the last tour, which was also fun. <laughs> Are you doing any sort of uh, insert processing, like using transient controllers or sub bass or anything like that on any of those channels? I'm not. Um, I obviously use the, the deep processing within the Allen & Heath. I started with the waves and it would start like I get, I think it was just my computer was so, so like clicking and stuff and my latency wasn't right. So, and I've heard stories of it crashing and then the whole, this losing left and right. And it, I've seen it too. And it terrifies me. So I only use my waves for virtual sound check, but I do want to go into it because I love waves and they're great, but it does scare me because if one thing goes wrong, this all yeah. I don't mean to talk about Drew throughout this entire podcast, but he, yeah. <laughs> he has a, uh, a button that he's assigned a soft key that he calls fuck waves. Yeah. So it just, yeah, that's fine. I've heard like, I'm sure it's normal, but putting everything on an aux to on your waves. So if anything goes wrong, you still actually do have your signal passing through and you don't lose the left and right, which is the scary part. So we talked a little bit about drums and guitars. What about vocals? Are you, uh, you want to share or shed any light into the magic that you're doing on the, the money channel? um on my not lead vocals but the others i have the my mind's gone blank of what they are now the optigates which are really nice because they especially for ears i think they clean up their ears for all that cymbal bleed and they do make my especially in smaller rooms my vocal lines just a lot clearer it's a a bit of a an annoyance dialing them in because you have that i don't know if you've seen them but that tiny little like penny mark at the top that you have to kind of find the exact space and the gap that they sing. But once it's in, they're, they're really nice. Are the guys pretty consistent so that the, the Optigate isn't, you know, getting confused? Yeah, they, they didn't like them at first, but now they've kind of got in the hang of it and they have to find themselves consistent. I think otherwise I don't hear them and they don't hear themselves. So <laughs> there's been a couple of times at the beginning when I see them shouting into it and i'm like yeah you need to go closer like i'm not getting anything but um they're definitely great and then the center vocal i just have a a 58 it's a beta 58 um let me pull out my channel um i use the uh the 16 comp the limiter the jp um and then i send it to a group which both go through again and that just gives me a an extra push and I think I have the same compressor on there basically and I just ride them both I use the parallel no I don't I, I did mess with the parallel path on it 
just to play with it and stuff, but it didn't, it worked more on drums for sure. I really like your idea of sending the group and the input channel to left, right, or to your, uh, to your Matrix. mix. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my lead singer in Stitch Up Heart is a really quiet singer. She's outstanding in the studio. A lot of uh, dynamics and techniques, but doesn't necessarily translate very well to live scenarios. I get a lot of, uh, you know, I struggle to get her vocal in the mix where I'd like it. This, yeah. And I've always doubled the input channel, you know, mirrored it. But I really like the idea of doing the group because I, then I do send it to a group. But then I only send the group to left, right. Whereas if I just sent the, uh, and both, the input yeah. channel. Yeah, that's a really good idea. I'm going to steal that if you don't mind. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. It also gives you a um, a graphic because there's no graph. There's only, what, four bands on each channel. But if I send it to the group, then I get a whole other more precise EQ. So if I'm really struggling and I need to push it, I can literally just pull out that one frequency that's giving me the, the trouble. But I still have the main channel without that frequency going to my – so I can really push it. Yeah, it's a, it's a great idea, and, you know, I think it – it's sort of an out-of-the-box approach to addressing that. I think normally my mind would say, you know, you don't send your input channel and your group. And your group, totally, yeah. It goes back to the there is no right and wrong, I guess. It's just whatever whatever works. It sounds good. It is good. Thanks, Drew. Yeah, but there is, there's definitely been times when I've been like, I don't like it, take it out. But majority of the time it's worked fine. I guess the bigger the space, the easier it is. That's I always find that's funny too. When you're, you're starting off, and you're doing these smaller venues, like where I started, it's called the Green Door Store in Bryan. I probably never mixed a harder room. Like it's just this brick box, the PA hums, like it's, and then you get more into your field and more deeper into the career and your job in a way becomes easier. That part of it does anyway. Like you get a nice PA, you get a console that you travel with, you get the same consistency every day. And it's just, it gives you more time to guess dive into everything and actually polish your your mix and all that. But it is funny to think about. Like I always think of what some of these bands, what would I do now if I if they played that green door store in Brighton that I started live sounding? Oh, I'd have a nightmare, I think. <laughs> yeah, I was talking to a small group of other engineers on one of the roundtable discussions and they they talked about mixing small clubs with bands like Suicidal Tendencies and you know, Kill Switch Engage and doing these little intimate shows and you know, they get, they get so used to running on large PAs and large venues. And then, you know, to hear the adjustments that they had to make, like, well, I didn't have any drums in the PA. It was, you know, I'm like, Oh, welcome to my old world. That was what I did for 25 years was fight that stuff. Yeah. It's funny, isn't it? Just, yeah. Basically can be just a kick snare and vocal PA at that point. Yeah. We did, um, Beartooth, we actually did a, it's called Blondie's, this little bar in London. It was maybe, it was a Kerrang thing and you had to like win tickets to, to go and it was maybe 50 people. And they decided not to run ears because basically the case our ears was in didn't even fit in the door. So we just used, I didn't use any, just the house console, the house wedges. We brought our mics. I don't think they even ran click. No, they didn't because they didn't have their ears. And it was loud as hell they even brought they brought their double stacks in and i think i was just a kick snare not even snare i think it was just kick and vocals through the pa and i had to like mix by going on stage and turning on that up and down there like it was fun like it 
it makes the job interesting, I guess. It would be, uh, I'd say it would be boring if it was an arena every day. I don't think I would buy board, but you know, <laughs> you know what I mean. Like, yeah, the arenas come with all the other amenities, like nice exactly. uh, catering yeah. and all that good stuff. Yeah. Are you doing anything special with your left-right bus, or are you doing any sort of uh, master processing that's sort of interesting? Um, so I have my my left right to a matrix i do run even though i've had many conversations with people and i think i might change i'm still not sure i do still run my sub on an aux um i've just always found it tidier because i can just send what i want it doesn't mess up and it does i feel it makes me i can push my subs more even though i've also heard the opposite and i do understand the opposite but i still do run my subs on an aux um so I'm just trying to click on it now. Oh no, I'll uh I was a subs aux guy forever. And yeah. I sort of got talked out it is talked out of it as well because I think a lot of people place a lot of importance on the left right board mix for like broadcast purposes and things like that. Absolutely. I get that. Yeah. But I'm not in that scenario, so I don't know. Maybe I should go back to the aux sub send because I sort of like it for the reasons that you highlighted as well. Yeah. And then the front fill, especially like if I'm in a a huge, like a PA is in a decent spot. I don't, and the guitars, bear to you for very loud on stage. I don't want any more guitars blasting those people in the front. I want my front fills just to be vocals. So if I, I don't want to send my left, right to those front fills, cause it's just going to get drowned out by the guitars coming on stage. So I've even wanted to, split my front fills up before i'm sure many people have too but stage left stage right front fills to put different guitars in each because of how loud they are on stage and um if i ever get to a stage when we tour which i'm sure they will that size i'm hoping that's what we do um but yeah so on my left right i have uh just the this dbx compressor on both just running a little bit and then i obviously i have the it's not on my there you go um the multi-band just to tighten it up um but this is where i would love to have more wave stuff on it but it does scare me but i will get there <laughs> like it it's just running the computer to a state that i don't want it to crash and just seeing so many shows that left and right go down but if you run it to a in a way that it's sensible, I'm sure there's ways around it. I just need time to experiment with it. But I'm really happy with the stuff that Alan Heath already have built in. I don't feel like I need that much more out for my and out outsource like waves or whatever to Well, you're a lot closer to the boys at Alan and Heath than I am. So maybe you could just run down the road and ask them to build some of those wave features. Build some of them. In. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's win win. <laughs> yeah. I'll give them a call. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure they will. I'm sure they're thinking of something like that all the time, right? Like I do like the Avid consoles for that, like waves you can have in it. Like before Alan Heath, that's what I would have taken out. Like is that even the SC48, I still like every time I get on one that, that we don't have a console, I really do enjoy having that waves option in there. I saw in your Instagram history that you also did a fair number of shows on the Midas Pro platform. Was that sort of your console before going to the DLive? It was, but not through my choice. I do like them. They, they sound great, but I do find them just fiddly, for use of a better word, to, to, to work around, and especially the patching. Oh, the patching on it does my head in. But um, <laughs> is that a very British way to say it, I guess, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I, I appreciate it. 
<laughs> the I think that the tour was yeah. So Silverstein, I was on a pro tour, and we did a co-headliner with uh, a band called Tonight Alive from Australia, and their engineer Jimmy, who I'm really good friends with, he loved the pro tour, um, and I was TMing on that tour too, and didn't have the time really to set up a full front of house rick console and patch everything in every day so it was kind of i let jimmy decide what console he wants because he's gonna have to deal with it every day because i don't have time and he chose the pro 2 which yeah it was fine they sound great they really do once they're dialed in and once they're there they have that sound to them and i they're great but it's just that initial patching and all that i find a pain in the ass yeah I struggle with the uh, like the difference between the pop groups and the VCAs and all that. Exactly. You know, they yeah. seem so similar to me. And then you know, one I I mixed a number of shows on Midas Pro's sort of console du jour, whatever the house had, and no two houses had them set up the same way. So it seemed like yeah, one place would use pop groups, one place would use VCAs, and it just yeah, it's a little bit dodgy. Yeah, I know Brian who introduced us loves them. That's his like go-to, isn't it? Yeah. So sorry, Brian, if you're listening to that. <laughs> I, it just means I need to pick his brain a little bit more and annoy him even yeah, more than I, I do. Yeah, I mean that's it. You just I just need more time on them. That's the yeah. Same with the Digico. I actually did a tour um, with a band called Frank Carter and the Rattlesnakes. Uh, we supported Biffy Clyro. Do you know over here? That's one of those funny ones. Over here, they're like an arena band, headline download festival, and then they go to the states, and I think they play like. 500 cat rooms <laughs> but uh yeah so we, i did a tour with them and we uh used the digico same loved it sounded great but i found it just fiddly to use just like finding my way around it and the little screens with the eq and having to tighten and then they disappear and i like but they sounded great so it's just me being fussy i guess but <laughs> do you remember which uh digico console it was it was like an sd11 i think it was sd8 SD8? Yeah, I think it was. That's like the gold one. Is that the SD8? Yeah. I believe so. I'm not as versed on my digital consoles, but that does sound right. Yeah. Are you with your going back to your uh your rig rundown, are you well you know you're on a C fifteen hundred, so you don't have redundant gig ace? We uh, on the last tour we did, I actually had the seven thousand, which was really nice. We did have the redundancy, which made me feel so much more calmer. Like with that fifteen hundred, it did Right, we did, what's that? It used to be called Rock on the Ranch, Sonic Temple in Columbus. We played the stadium stage and I was there with my little 1500 being like, I have one cable. <laughs> like if my cable goes, I'm, but it never has. Literally like touch wood, it's always been fine. But having that redundancy is definitely. So I'd like to talk a little bit also, let's step out of the touring arena and talk a little bit more about uh, another project you've got going on, which is uh, your Sonic Workshops. Yeah. Yeah. Would you mind explaining what's going on with that? Yeah. So it's a very new thing. We've been doing it for six weeks right now. So it's basically, I guess, the start of the beginning. I was approached by a university in Brighton, not the same one I went to, but one called Waterbear to write a, a module on tour management. And I was like, sure. Like, it's kind of, I was honest with them. I was like, it's nothing I've done before, but. I do like I understand it and I could probably write about it if you wouldn't mind rereading my words. Um, so I did that and they loved it. 
And that was like two years ago. And since then, there's been, I think it's about 15 students a year that have taken it. And I have to mark their course and talk to them about stuff like that. And a guy called George, who also works for the same uh, university, who I knew before, um, mentors people at this Water Bear too, and like how to get start in the music industry and all that. And we got to chat and we were like, this could be bigger. This could be like the world. Like it doesn't have to be just this university that we're mentoring students to. Like I'm sure there's people out there all over the world that want to know the best ways to get into touring, want to know what a TM does or a band even that as a small band starting off, you have to TM themselves. They don't even know where to start doing that side of stuff. And then obviously the audio side of stuff, like if an engineer wants to, or a person wants to learn about EQs, compression. So we got a few, we've got like eight different mentors now. So I'm doing like live sound, tour managing. We have Cam, who's at the TM of Beartooth doing TM stuff. And he started a lot doing DIY. So he's like DIY touring. Um, George, who I started with, is a music producer. So he can do like recording. And then we've got guys who work for record labels. We have a guy that does, writes music, uh, to a brief for like adverts so if people want to do that um, and we've recently just announced um, Scope who or Scott who's a guitar player for Cancer Bats and he can do guitar lessons and then Ben who used to be in a band called As It Is from over here in the UK doing like songwriting and and then we have Jar who is Bertie's photographer and social media guy doing social media so how to like best way to market yourself and all that so you can sign up as a monthly subscription or you can just sign up to an individual for a session and just pick their brain just talk to them or if you want to learn more like the idea of it is to have more than one session and build a like a, a relationship with your mentor I guess so they can push you in certain directions and tell you to do this or like if someone wants to learn how to do live sound I'll be like go and work in a music but your local venue go and like like tell them my story. Like it worked for me. It's worked for many others that I've known too. Like just give them and push them and like, yeah. So we've got a few more people lined up that are interested to join, um, to teach different aspects of it. And it seems to be going all right so far. Are they, are they classroom based type of uh, sessions or are they more one-on-one -on -one direct sort of coaching slash? Or one-on-one -on -one actually on Zoom, just like this. So a little bit, yeah. So it can be anywhere in the world from, and yeah. And then when touring starts back up again, I'd like to introduce actual like, so if I were in London or if I was in Chicago and someone there wants to, to learn, they can come to the show. And they can like, I can run them through what I'm doing, look at the console, like tell them like, any questions that they have and kind of make it a workshop in that way. Um, and then that way I can bring in so many different people too. Like I can bring in engineers of all different bands because they obviously have people on tour at different times, different interests. If you want to be a guitar tech, you can go and watch so-and-so guitar tech for this band and watch, see and just ask, pick questions. So yeah. We'll see how that side of it works when touring starts back up again or when touring starts back up again. And obviously I'd have to run everything by the band and make sure that it's all legit and it's not fans coming to a show and stuff like that. I've thought about all of those things, but I feel like the idea is there and I think it could be beneficial to a lot of people. 
Yeah, that's that's really fantastic. And you mentioned that it's sort of subscription-based. You can go month to month or whatever. Is there any sort of limit on the number of sessions that you have or how does how do the logistics work out? So at the minute, the monthly thing is just uh, £20 a month and you get one session out of it. But we can introduce whatever you want, basically. If someone wants to email us and be like, I want to do this, we'll figure out something for them. Because we use uh, Squarespace for our like scheduling and stuff. And the calendar thing of it is actually really good. So each mentor is operated like a different shop, basically. So each person has their own opening hours. So if I'm busy next week on Wednesday, I just close for the day. So you can just log on and you can book whenever is available slots to book, which works really well. And it We've given everyone access to their own store as such that you can put in your own hours. So if you were subscription based and you can just book into whoever you want to learn that and then next month you can do that and or you stick to the same mentor, which we're trying to which makes more sense because that's the field that you're interested in. It's a fantastically elegant way to handle that. I know like with my, with setting up the podcast, it's. I have a myriad of systems that I sort of track my schedule and all that fun stuff through, but doing it all through Squarespace and setting up each uh, mentor as a shop, that's, it's a genius idea. Yeah. I mean, it, it took a, we went through so many different ways to try and figure it out of how to do it, like Google calendar. And I was like, no, that sounds such a pain to make everyone put in there. And yeah, this just, I was messing around with it on day. Me and George were doing it. And it was like, this just, yeah, it works. Like, Fantastic. Well, I'll definitely include a link to the Sonic Workshops website with the show notes, and I would encourage everybody. Nice. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I would encourage everybody to take advantage of the downtime that we have right now and uh, try to learn a little something, whether it's, you know, learning something entirely new or, you know, sort of uh, learning something additional to what you may already know in the live sound industry. It's a really fantastic service. I, I think that's really, really cool. Nice. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So I'm going to jump back into talking a little bit about your uh, day-to-day life when you're on tour working with Beartooth or whomever. Um, And specifically going back to your DLive rig, are you doing any sort of external system processing or are you just going straight out of the board into the house PA? Uh, Straight out of the board into the house, but I would definitely want a lake in the future. Like, is it the LM44? Like, yeah. But never been in the right time for it or the right budget for it but it will happen like i think Beartooth are on their way up still and like things like that and i'll be able to have all the little toys i want to play with. <laughs> oh i know i think there's a term they call it gas uh gear acquisition syndrome it's like oh yeah i never run out of gas i'm always looking at something to buy and spending spending too much yeah it's the same thing as a kid isn't it kids want new toys and adults want new toys too <laughs> Yeah, only our toys cost a little bit more than exactly. The older you get, the more expensive they are. Yeah, (laughs) I tell my girlfriend, "Hey, I'm not buying sports cars. At least, you know, I'm buying uh, audio equipment." And then she counters, "But I can ride around in a sports car. I can't use yours." (laughs) (laughs) It holds its value too, kind of. Yeah, Yeah, somewhat. (laughs) So when you're at when you're at a new venue uh, and you're running front of house and you're just getting everything set up and dialed in and you're listening to the PA for the first time, can you take us through the process that you utilize to listen to the PA, tune the PA, and sort of what sort of typical adjustments you're making? 
Yeah, um, I have my ring out song, as everyone does, I guess. I use Jamie Woon, Sharpness. I don't know if you're familiar. I wasn't familiar with it until I listened to it. And I, just, I can't remember, it came on a playlist or something on Spotify. And I was like, this song would be fantastic for to ring out. Like it's just, it's got, yeah. So I listened to that. I normally take out like 200, 315 and a bit of 2K, I guess they're the ones I don't like. But obviously I listened to The Room and then I listened to Frank Ocean. Um, I can't remember. I've listened to it so many times. I can't remember the name of the song right now. Um, Think About You. Um, And then I'll, depending on how well it went, like how happy I am, I will then put um, some white noise to, and then look at my smart. But if I'm happy with it, I normally don't because I don't want to then get in my head that, I'm not flat or I'm not, it doesn't look like it should. Like I don't want to, cause I've dealt into my head so many times that I've listened to the song and I'm like, something doesn't sound right or this sounds great. I don't want to mess with it. I don't even want to look at the, uh, the noise and see that I need to take more of that out. Cause I'm really happy with what it is right now. So I guess it varies on that, but yeah. And then uh, more recently, obviously with the, live i then do a virtual soundtrack so after i've rung out I'll, I'll do it as i do a kind of like i'll bring my drums in first from my virtual soundtrack and then bring my bass and then the guitars and then vocals and then have it all sit um but i will flat it out i don't i'm sure that's what everyone else does too rather than just play it and then open it up so i build in my virtual soundtrack gradually and then when the band comes in i would leave that up and hear each instrument from what i did with the virtual soundtrack and then make my adjustments day by day. But hopefully with the Kempers, my adjustments don't change that much in my mix. It's just my graphic EQ at the end. Like, especially if we're playing the same similar size venues. Like obviously if we do an a thousand cat room, then a 50 cat room the next day, a lot of things are gonna change. But yeah, I try not to touch my mix that much, just my left and right. And then obviously when the show comes, I ride things and yeah. Are you recording each show, uh, multi-tracking it, or do yes. you basically? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I'll always play this night before for it because that's when my console's left in a way, and then I'll start as if obviously I save it every day, but I'll start where I left off because I do make changes as I go, and I'm like, oh, I wonder if I do do that. What will it <laughs> like? Because I've been, it's weird. I've had such a happy mix, and I'm like so stoked with it, but I still want to change things just because yeah i'm sure you know you're like, like oh what happens and then sometimes obviously it doesn't work and then i backtrack and then i'll, I'll load a file from three days ago because the last two days of what i did didn't i didn't like it and then i start from there again which i've always thought is obviously is a good thing because i don't want to just be complacent with my mix and just leave it and wander off and not care like i do care about it and yeah yeah i have so many versions of my show file saved it's uh it's like uh show one, show two, show 25, show 30, show 36. And then I go back and I look in 36 isn't that much different from show four. It's yeah, just, exactly. Yeah. But show 20 is vastly different. Yeah. <laughs> are you using uh, scenes at all on the D live or are you pretty much just uh, running your show file? I just run my show file. Yeah. It's again, something I've same with ways that wanted to go and like have a scene for every song. And then, but in a way, bet like, Beartooth don't change that much song for song. And I 
they do change their set list a little bit, so that would it's easy enough to change. But I do like doing it rather than just pressing next scene. But I would imagine if I was with a, a band with a lot more, not necessarily channels, but a lot more channels and a lot more just different things going on, I would definitely use scenes. Definitely theatre, obviously, I know that's quite far from live music, but you'd have to, wouldn't you? Like different, but no, I guess to answer your question simply, I don't, I just run the yeah file as it is. Yeah, I, uh, I'm just starting to dabble with scenes. I really, Drew Thornton, and Drew, I think I need to pay you royalties for this episode because I've mentioned your name <laughs> about 500 times. But Drew really got me thinking about scenes. And so over the summer, I, I incorporated scenes into my show file. And I started, uh, I went to California and mixed a show. And it was really awesome to have the scenes available because I could make very minute, specific adjustments to like a compressor for one song mm. but it bites you if you don't have your safes configured exactly right <laughs> yeah yeah and then they can all go yeah i mean that makes sense there's definitely songs that i changed little bits of the compressor with or even like a filter on or an eq on a guitar and i have to remember about it every time so there's definitely benefits that even to a beartooth show that it would be nice to go through the scenes it's just having that time to set them up, isn't it? And then I guess it's not that time consuming, but. Well, that's where the world of multi-track I think really becomes beneficial because Absolutely. up until I started working with Stitched Up Heart, I never multi-tracked anything. I was on a Midas M32 99% of the time and not using any waves, not doing anything with, you know, virtual sound check or anything. And then I got into the DLive platform and all of these tools are available. Yeah. And it's like, where do I even begin? What do I focus on? Yeah. So many new toys to play with. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It goes back. Yeah, exactly. It's a perfect yeah. way to bring it full circle. Hey, let's take a quick break here. One second. Um, we will be right back. I'm going to step away for one second. Be right back. All right. We're back. Sorry about that little diversion. Um, Danny, we're starting to have some technical issues behind the scenes with our connection. I guess that's the the joy of being thousands and thousands of miles apart from one another. So I apologize for that. It's all good. It's still crazy that we can do this, isn't it? Really? If you think about it. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it is a wonderful time, I guess, uh, when it all works. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's try real quick. I, I know I told you offline that I wasn't going to ask this question and if it, if it fails, it fails and, and I'll just bring up the, the outro music, but, uh, in your duties as a tour manager, can you talk a little bit about what you're doing in preparation for a tour as a tour manager? What are you focusing on for your advances and then sort of what you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis while on tour? Yeah, absolutely. I guess I try and do the most I can in my advance. So I make an advanced document with as much information as possible. So when I get there, they don't have any questions. So in it will include simple things like what vehicle we're in if what we need parking or how many vehicles and what parking and then in europe the power we need because each bus in europe oh, it's a nightmare it can't just run on a generator it needs power so that's kind of my main thing because if we can park that makes the whole day a lot easier um and then i dive into like catering is there a, what catering budget is and i'll hopefully in the states i do like to do a day of show shop rather than an advanced shop for that kind of stuff, otherwise things just build up in the bus and then people have so many changes last minute that they want. So I sometimes don't even send a rider 
and just say, let's deal with this day of if we can. If you need to do it ahead of time, that's fine. We can do that too. Like House of Blues, I know, all very different with that and their catering. Um, Audio-wise and production-wise, I like to what power we need, especially for lights. Um, audio is a little easier in the power stuff, but if I need to run Cat 5s or do they have enough spell lines that I can use? Um, and then, yeah, the, like I can say the most thing is my advance. And then I put all that onto a day sheet. Um, recently been using Master Tour a little bit more than I have before, which is certainly nice for multiple vehicle tours. And I can just update something and everyone sees it. Um, but I still put a day sheet up around everywhere. Um, hopefully has all the answers on that anyone could need. I always, always, always like putting the nearest coffee shop. So like wherever it's like, oh, oh yeah, let's try that one. And <laughs> if it's not good, I'll take it off. I won't include it next time we're at that venue. But um, yeah, so my advance, I guess, is the main thing. I do like to include as much as I can in that. Are you uh, Planet Fitness guys when you're in the United States? Um, the band that I tour with, we really got turned on to Planet Fitnesses for, you know, getting to move around a little bit and then also taking advantage of facilities. Um, there's some of us on tour definitely are. Yeah, we've still seen, I remember our guitar tech, Kyle, love going. I don't know if it was specifically Planet Fitness or but some gym that he would try and go to. And his thing to me was, oh, there's a runner. Can the runner take me? <laughs> so I guess that was, all, is there a runner? Can they take people? Because sometimes they can't, right? Because of insurance and all that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, I do try and make everyone, obviously that's a TM's job, but make everyone happy and make everyone's like, if the runner can take you to the gym, then absolutely. Like, that's what they're there for. That's what they like it too. I've also had runners like, I'm sorry, there's just nothing for you to do today. They just sit there. But it's a good problem to have it at sometimes. (laughs) All right. Well, let's uh, not press our luck on this internet connection here. So I apologize profusely, uh, because I really have enjoyed chatting with you and I really appreciate your time, but the technology. Yeah, you too. Thank you very much for having me. It's been great. Yeah. No, I hope to catch you out on the road. And uh, if you're in the States or if we're overseas, I am definitely going to be giving you a shout. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, don't be a stranger and stay safe and very best wishes to you. And I hope to see you very soon. You too, Steve. Thank you very much. Yeah. See you soon. And that's a wrap on this episode of Mixmasters. I hope you enjoyed the show, and if you did, please be sure to subscribe and then tell a friend, or maybe leave a review on Apple Podcasts. I'd certainly appreciate it. I produce Mixmasters on the Allen & Heath DLive system with Shure microphones and a little help from Apple's Logic Pro X and some Waves SoundGrid plugins. One more round of thanks to Merritt Goodwin for the music, and until next time, stay safe and healthy, and thanks again for listening.